We're turning in our Bibles this morning to Psalm 126. Our scripture reading is from the 126th Psalm. This is a song of degrees. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Whenever I was preparing to come to Orlando here, one of the things that was upon my heart was to tell you about one of the greatest revivals that ever happened in Scotland. And I believe that even as we think upon that here this morning, that it will be an encouragement to us. And it will encourage us to even pray for such a revival here in Orlando. But before we come to think about the Cambus Lang revival, let us unite together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God. We thank Thee for the power that is contained within the Word. And we thank Thee that down through the centuries Thou has been pleased to use the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And Father, as we come before thee this day, we do desire to meet with thee. We want thy presence in our gathering. We petition thee that thou would bestow upon us the blessings of heaven as we think, Lord, upon thy word and as we meditate upon this psalm in a few moments and as we think about the Cambus Lang revival. We do pray for thy spirit to come and anoint our time together with power and that we would know thee, even drawing alongside. Father, we cannot approach thee outside of Christ. We thank thee for him who is altogether lovely. We thank thee for the one who is the fairest of ten thousand. And Father, we pray today that he would be glorified in our midst. And that the Lamb would be exalted. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well I want to speak to you this morning. About the revival in Cambus Lang. That happened in February 1742. Nearly 300 years ago. But what is the setting to this revival? Well you've maybe never heard of the little parish of Cambus Lang. It's set south of Glasgow, about five miles south of that great city. And in the year 1739 to 1740, this little parish had been terribly affected by crop failure. That maybe doesn't affect us nowadays so much. If the crop fails here, we just buy it from somewhere else. But back in the day, it was a serious thing whenever there was a poor harvest. But the parish of Cambus Lang was affected by the Industrial Revolution in the 1730s and 40s. And this transformed this little parish from a rural community 
to an industrial centre and it became popular for weaving, linen, mining and shoemaking. By the, 17, by the year 1740, half the population of Cambus Lang were employed in the cloth industry. But let me give you a little insight to the spiritual history of Cambus Lang. It had always had a connection with evangelical religion. The Reverend Robert Fleming had an impact over a 10-year ministry in the year 1653 to 1663. But from the year 1716 to 1731, over 15 years, they had no minister or spiritual leadership. And sadly, this led to poor spiritual levels in the parish of Cambus Lang. And what a warning that is to us here. Whenever there's no shepherd to lead the flock, the sheep surely do scatter. And there's a great lesson there from the history of Cambus Lang. Fifteen years without a minister saw poor spiritual uh, declension in the parish of Cambus Lang. Well, in the year 1731, a minister by the name of the Reverend William McCulloch was appointed to Cambus Lang. And instead of the parish rejoicing that a minister came, act, he actually found there was a spirit of extremism and great dissension in the parish. In fact, a faction of elders opposed his appointment. Presbytery had to step in and depose five elders from office, although one elder did recant and he was reinstated. So the background to revival was a poor crop failure, a big change in the industrial settings, and a, a community that had very little spiritual interest certainly in the things of evangelical religion. But the Reverend William McCulloch had a longing in his heart for revival. He wanted to see God come and God to come and move in Cambus Lang. He was encouraged by reports of revival in New England here under Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. And whenever these reports came to Scotland, he used to read them out passionately to his congregation in Cambus Lang. And the result of this was his congregation caught the buzz for revival. And his congregation began to pray for the blessings that were happening in America, in New England, to come to the parish of Cambus Lang. There was a servant who worked in the manse of the Reverend McCulloch. Her name was Janet Jackson. And she recorded in her diary that the young people of the parish had burdens upon their heart to be counselled by the minister. They would come to the minister and seek guidance upon their souls. And how we long for young people in our land today to do that. If even one young person a year contacted the minister to inquire about spiritual things, we would think we were in a state of revival. Janet Jackson also recorded in her uh, diary that there was an increase of prayer societies within the community of Cambus Lang. And what a thing to notice, uh, that there's an increase of people meeting together to pray. Well, throughout the year 1741, the Reverend McCulloch preached exclusively on the new birth. That was his theme for the whole year. He must be born again. 
Clearly he saw that this was the pressing need of canvas lying and this was the pressing need of souls within that community that they must be converted and they must be changed. Well, in the autumn of 1741, George Whitfield, the famous English evangelist, came to Glasgow, which, remember, was five miles north of Campbell Slang, and he preached there. And several people from Campbell Slang travelled those five miles without car or anything like that in those days to hear George Whitfield, and several were converted. Two of them, one by the name of Ingram Moore, who was a shoemaker, and Robert Bowman, a weaver, were converted, and they began to organise prayer meetings. They realised that what they have experienced, they wanted others to experience. And they knew that salvation was of the Lord, so they gathered together and they sought the Lord in prayer. Such was the desire for prayer that they petitioned the minister to organise a Thursday night meeting. And that's the sort of petition that a minister wants to hear, not petitions to get people out or petitions against this or that, but petitions to start more meetings. And the Reverend McCulloch was only too happy to oblige. The first meeting they had on the Thursday night, he had to preach outdoors. The church was too small to accommodate everybody who would come along to the meeting. Well, in February of 1742, the prayer societies in the parish of Cambus Lang met on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And then the Reverend McCulloch had his special meeting on the Thursday. It was called the weekly lecture. And at this weekly lecture, many souls were brought under conviction of sin and gloriously converted. Well, on the Sabbath day, the 14th of February, 1742, many souls left during the sermon not because they were bored and not because they were disinterested, but they left during the sermon because the Lord had been dealing with them. They had been brought under conviction of sin and they went to the manse to wait for the minister. We see nothing like this happening in our current day, do we? On Thursday, the 18th of February, the church was filled with a sound of weeping. Sinners weeping over their sin, crying under deep conviction, longing for salvation. It's recorded that 50 wounded souls cried at the manse that day, desiring to be led to the Saviour. 50 souls in the minister's house, seeking counselling. I've watched online some of those great crusades that you have here in America. Tens of thousands of people walking aisles. And I've watched the video of them walking the aisles. And they walk the aisle laughing. They walk the aisle smiling. I haven't seen too many walking the aisle weeping over their misery of sin. But revival had come to the parish of Cambus Lang. In fact, the Reverend McCulloch had to have services on an almost daily basis for six months. Can you imagine that? 
coming along to church every day for six months. A whole community desiring to hear the preaching of the word. Such as the, the moving of God that you have to open the doors early in the morning. Close them late at night. Because souls are hungering and thirsting after the word. Well meetings continued many times until six o'clock in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning. There's some churches I preach at, and if you preach a minute past the hour, they're getting up and ready to leave. They can't stand the preaching of the word a minute longer. But in Cambus Lang in 1742, they wouldn't leave. Preach more. Tell us more about Christ. Tell us more about salvation. It was the cry of those meetings. The manse was often crowded with sinners seeking salvation. In April 1742, a lull appeared and the Reverend McCulloch was concerned and he thought, well, we're going to have to revert to the Sunday meetings and the Thursday meetings only. And that evening, 30 souls were brought under conviction of sin and the daily meetings continued. By May 1742, 300 souls had been awakened in the parish of Cambus Lang. Nine to 10,000 people were turning up for the Sabbath day services. One of the men who's frequently associated with the Cambus Lang revival is George Whitfield. He had preached in Glasgow, we mentioned that before in 1741 but he came to Cambus Lang at the beginning of July 1742 and on the day of his arrival which was a Tuesday he preached at 2pm in the afternoon 6pm in the evening and then 9pm in the evening and this is what George Whitfield wrote now remember George Whitfield was a man who saw much blessing under his ministry. He saw great things happen here in America. He famously traveled throughout America preaching the gospel, saw many sinners converted and saw revivals here in America and also in England and Scotland as well. But these are the words of George Whitfield. Such a commotion was never heard of, especially about 11 p.m. at night. It far outdid all that ever I saw in America. For about an hour and a half, there was such a weeping, so many falling into a deep distress and manifesting it in various ways, that description is impossible. They were carried off and brought into the manse like wounded soldiers taken from a field of battle. George Whitfield said of the canvas lying, it far outdid all that ever I saw in America. And look at his description of those who were under the preaching of the word. Carried off like wounded soldiers. The, the word of God was like that arrow that pierced their heart. This wasn't just people who thought, well, I really want to go to heaven. These were people who were smitten in their sin. The Reverend McCulloch on the first day that George Whitfield was there, closed the meetings at 1 a.m. in the morning. But the people didn't go home, refused to go home. In fact, from the field that George Whitfield preached at, prayer and praise could be heard 
all night long. On the first Sabbath day of July, it was the communion weekend. Two tents were set up for all day preaching. Seventeen tables were set up to serve 1,700 communicants at the Lord's Supper. And it's estimated that 20,000 to 35,000 people were present on that day in the parish of Cambus Line. George Whitfield said of that day, He might have seen thousands bathed in tears, some wringing their hands, some almost swooning, and others crying out in mourning over a pierced Saviour. These were extraordinary days. When would you get 20,000 people at least gathering in a field to hear the preaching of the word? Oh, they'll gather to watch a baseball match, a football match. But when will they come to hear of the man of Calvary? This is surely the work of God. Now this movement of God was not without opposition. Businessmen whose employees were shying away from work to be at the meetings were against this revival in Cambus Lang. But there was also opposition within evangelical circles as well. There was a group of cessationists. These were men who had left the Church of Scotland because they considered it apostate. And they opposed these meetings. In fact, they opposed uh, almost everything about them. This uh, group called George Whitfield a limb of the Antichrist. They called this revival a delusion of Satan. These were people who said God can't come and revive in the Church of Scotland. And because they held to these notions, they condemned everything about the revival. Many of those cessationists later came to see that this revival was genuine and of God, and they repented of their folly. But what was the outcome and the impact of this revival? Well, there's vast records of testimonies of men and women who had been converted. These were not temporary conversions. These were people who went on with the Lord. And it's recorded of them that they did so. There was servant girls who were converted. Who went to work at the wheel. And they would sing the Psalms of Zion all day. And people who were working alongside them unconverted. Would hear the singing and the joy of the Lord upon these girls souls. And they would be ultimately converted as a result. In 1751 the Reverend McCulloch claimed that 400 converts in the parish of Cambus Lang were continuing steadfastly in the faith. Now of course there were other conversions. There were more people from other places who came to Cambus Lang for these meetings who went home uh, converted. But this was not just the testimony of the Reverend McCulloch. It's been verified by his successor, Dr. Robertson, as well. When he came to the parish, he testified that this was a genuine move of God. And the numbers awakened estimated uh, to be at least 200,000 in this move of God in Cambus Lang. 
But this was not just isolated to the parish of Cambus Lang. There was movements of God in other places. In Bothwell, not far away, the Reverend William Hamilton records the grace in the lives of young people who travelled to Cambus Lang. So young people from Bothwell travelled to Cambus Lang, were converted and then came back and told their families and their communities. And the end result was God started to move in Bothwell. It's the same in Kilsyth. A similar revival happened here three months after Cambus Lang. The people from uh, Kilsyth travelled to Cambus Lang, were converted, went back, started praying. And God started moving. Well, this revival spread to other places. Calder, Baldernock, Campsey, uh, Cumbernault, Glasgow and Ayrshire. Just to name a few. So whenever God came down upon Cambus Lang, he spread the fire upon other places as well. And this was a great revival that happened uh, nearly 300 years ago. But the sad truth is, we don't see this happen in our land today, do we? How often have we had even those prayer meetings that have gone on to the early hours of the morning? How often are we burdened even upon our own souls to start days of prayer? To start times of, of fasting before the Lord? Where's the appetite even amongst Christians in our day and generation to have the preaching of the gospel day after day after day? Sadly, we're not living in that spirit of revival. But dear friends, this does not mean that God is not able to come suddenly and quickly upon us. He did it in Cambus Lang. Remember, this was a parish that was barren for some 15 years where the spiritual state of the place had declined to almost nothing. And God came in and he turned again the captivity of the church in the parish of Cambus Lang. And for the few moments that remain in our Bible class here today, I want to turn to Psalm 126. And there's three things I want to leave with you from the opening verses of this psalm as we think of how the Lord came and turned the captivity in Cambus Lang. We see that this is a pattern of Scripture. Notice, first of all, who is responsible for revival. Verse 1, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. It wasn't George Whitfield who brought revival to Cambus Lang. It wasn't the Reverend McCulloch. No, it was the Lord. And, dear friend, God alone is the author of revival in his church. This is God's sovereign power, and it doesn't belong to men. Men cannot engineer revival. We cannot force revival to come down upon this place. Yes, we can hold prayer meetings, but we cannot command revival. Of course, we can open the word and we can preach faithfully night after night, but that does not command revival. God is the one who is responsible for revival. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. We might put a sign out and say revival meetings, but we can't bring revival into this place. I tell you today that God wills nothing but good for his church. Any chastisement of his church is ultimately for the good of the church and for the people of God. In our passage here today, 
Israel is in captivity. And Matthew Henry says God sent them into captivity, not as dross is put into the fire to be consumed, but as gold to be refined. And so it was for the church in captivity. And so it is for the church in captivity today. Because we have to say the evangelical remnant in most of the western cities is very, very small. And why is it like that? Why is the church in the state of decay and decline today? Why is there very little happening in the true Christian churches in our land? Well, I believe the Lord is bringing us to see, I'm speaking of the church generally here, the church's great backsliding and departure from his word. And whenever the church sees this, then, dear friend, the Lord will turn our captivity. The responsibility for revival belongs to the Lord. But notice the response of the church, verse 1. It says, we were like them that dream. This is how the church responds, this church in captivity. We were like them that dream. And this word dream teaches us the extraordinary and astonishing manner of this revival. This revival came to Israel so suddenly, so unexpectedly. There had been no signs of its happening. The word dream signifies something that man thought unimaginable. I'm sure whenever the Reverend McCulloch went to Canvas Lang, he never for a second imagined how God would come mightily upon that place. His faith maybe wasn't strong enough. But then we have to say, do we have faith to believe that God is able to do that here? Do we have the faith to believe that God is able not just to fill this place to overflowing, but to take us out to a field where 10, 20, 30,000 people will come to hear the preaching of the word? Do we have the faith to believe that? Do we have the faith to pray that? We need it, dear friends. This church in captivity in Psalm 126 didn't believe uh, that the Lord would come so quickly and suddenly upon them in times of God's revival strange things happen meetings don't need to be advertised churches are filled homes are changed lives are transformed communities towns and villages are turned upside down with the gospel but notice also the response of the church Verse 2, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. It was the laughter of joy in God. They were not laughing to scorn their enemies. It was a laughter produced out of pure joy. They couldn't believe what was happening. But then notice thirdly and finally here today. The reaction of the ungodly. Verse 2. Then said they among the heathen. The Lord hath done great things for them. So even the ungodly were amazed at what was happening for the church. The Lord hath done great things for them. Even the ungodly who were holding them captive were able to say. This is their God who has done this for them. Well, dear friends, whenever God moves, even the ungodly 
take notice. Newspapers report about it. People are flocking to this church. They're staying there all hours of the night praying. There's acknowledgments that God has worked in the community. Whenever I was a little boy and a not so little boy, one of the things I was quite interested in was American wrestling, uh, the days of Hulk Hogan and uh, men like that. And one of the men I used to grow up watching was a, a wrestler by the name of Shawn Michaels. And I was amazed to read that he was converted a number of years ago. So I got his autobiography and I started reading it. And one of the other wrestlers wrote in the foreword to the autobiography, the testimony of Shawn Michaels. And remember this other wrestler, he's not converted, he's not a believer. But this is what he said. Only God could change the life of that man. Because this wrestler who was converted was living an ungodly life. A, a wicked life. Uh, abuse and fornication and everything like that. But whenever he was converted, other people took notice. And one of his other wrestlers said, Only God could change the life of that man. You see, dear friends, when revival comes, even the ungodly, even the world, notice that only God could do it. Only God could be behind it. You see, in Canvas Slang, the Reverend McCulloch, whether he was the greatest organizer in the world, couldn't have organized 30,000 people standing in a field to weep over their sin. He couldn't do it. Only God could do it. And dear friend, only God can do it for us here in Orlando. Only God can do it for my own parish in Gardenstown in Scotland. So often we're tempted to look to men. And we think, well, if we just had that man, if we just had the money, if we just had the facilities, then, then revival would come. But dear friend, there's only one thing we need for revival to come, and that is God. We need God to come. It's our responsibility, of course, to go into the world and to preach the gospel. It's our responsibility to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Of course, we have a great responsibility. But let us never be those who look to the arm of the flesh. Let us be those who look to the Lord to come. We must make it our prayer. In verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Verse 5. We have the promise. And if anything ought to encourage us to pray, it's the promises of God. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Well, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how it is the prayer of our hearts today for revival to come. How we long for thee to come in our midst in, in great power. How we ask of thee to move upon our souls this day. And even make us those who are burdened for revival. And burdened for God to come. In salvation's blessing. 
Oh Father, what we read off in history, we pray for today. We think of the day of Pentecost. 3,000 souls added to the church. We think of revivals like Campbell's Lang and Kilsyth and, and New England. And Father, we pray for such miracles to happen today. We lament that man thinks he can engineer revival. And man thinks he can bring blessing. But Father, we know that salvation is thy work. And we would not be so foolish as to be those who would touch the ark. We would not be so foolish as to think that the power lies within us. But Lord, we pray, cause revival to come upon this city of Orlando. Cause Father, Father, men and women to be like those wounded soldiers smitten in the battle, we pray. Carried into the church to hear the word of God. Cause, Father, this place to be full full to overflowing with sinners desiring the word of God and settling for nothing less. Come, we pray, this day. Revive our hearts. Let us not be those who are guilty of unbelief, thinking that this will never happen or never come upon us. But give us, Father, even faith to believe And give us faith in our prayers. Come we pray. In Jesus name. Amen.